I think when I started, it was just for fun. I really enjoyed that kind of communication, that kind of unvarnished truth, humor, action, sharing experience to undergo something. Usually what I write has to do with reality, but overlay of speculation, grand philosophical questions like Marxism, Stalinism. At the core, they're dramatic novels. They're not philosophical treatises. Hopefully they evoke emotion. You want to communicate with people in a literary sense. That's one thing I continue to really like about books is the amount of detail. Everything about it should bring you into that separate world that's between the covers. I guess I just fell in love with it. Welcome to Angel City Culture Quest, where art, social justice, and the environment meet in Los Angeles. I am your host, Melina Paris, and I welcome you to this episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Angel City Culture Quest. Today, we are talking to Stephen T. Bramble of Pathos Press on the beginnings of a local independent publishing house. Hello, Stephen. How are you today? Good, Melina. How are you? I'm okay. I want to share your bio with folks, and then we're going to get started. Stephen Bramble is a novelist based out of Long Beach. He is the author of Disposable Thought, Grid City Overload, and Affliction Included. He is also the translator of The Year I Went Away, a new novel from Argentinian author Jorge Schneider. He is a co-founder of ZQ287, a futurist think tank, and of Pathos Press, specializing in speculative fiction his work deals with political, economic, cultural, and technological issues, attempting to explain and theorize with a playful, perhaps philosophical style. Stephen's writing has been compared to Kurt Vonnegut, George Orwell, and Margaret Atwood, as well as two of his influences, Thomas Pinchon and William T. Volman. I'd like to share with you what Stephen thinks Pathos Press can really offer L.A. authors who might think to query them, along with some, not all, indie publishers. Small publishing houses tend to be much more willing to consider challenging or experimental works, especially by new authors without an established reputation. Some indie publishers assign editors to their authors in order to ensure the quality of the final text of the book. With larger publishing houses, it is sometimes the case that editors serve to recalibrate aspects of the book's plot or characters they consider as being possibly detrimental to future sales. Often, indie publishing editors are concerned only with the ultimate integrity of the manuscript and guaranteeing the legibility and artistic vision of the author. Thank you, Stephen, for that information. What was your inspiration to start writing? I think that when I started, it was mostly just for fun. I started when I was a kid, and I'm an only child, so I would spend a lot of time alone. I would draw comics. We had an old camcorder and made little movies. But I started writing stories when I was real young, and then I guess I just got better at it, or at least the stories got a lot longer. My ambitions kind of got a little bigger as I got a little bigger. And for the most part, they were just really terrible, like robots fighting and I guess what you would call fan fiction, like 
writing about Ninja Turtles and Ghostbusters and stuff like that. And I tried my hand at like fantasy novels and sci-fi novels. But I got a lot more serious about it in middle school when I read Catcher in the Rye and Valis by Philip K. Dick. So I started reading just some more serious stuff that was honestly probably too advanced for me at that age. But I don't know. I guess I just fell in love with it as kind of the short answer. It was just I really enjoyed that kind of communication, that kind of just unvarnished truth. And also kind of a long form, like a lot of details. It's something that you don't always get in even documentaries or movies as they have to be extremely edited. There's not a lot of time. You can't like fit in absolutely everything. That's one thing I continue to really like about books is just the amount of detail. Yeah, we're going to get to this soon, but it reminds me of what you were talking about, maximalist styles in writing. Yeah. You describe your writing as speculative fiction, which for our listeners would be about supernatural and futuristic and other highly imaginative realms, which you'd like to be in some ways half speculative and half philosophical fiction. And philosophical fiction encompasses pondering the big questions and provoking thought and debate. And you've been reading a lot of philosophy, you said, to educate yourself in actual philosophical texts out of interest, such as Carl Jung, Friedrich Hegel, Martin Heidegger, and Karl Marx. You also said you really like Savoy Zizek. What did you appreciate about him? Well, there's a lot to appreciate about him. He's really famous. He's probably at least one of the foremost philosophers right now in the world, probably, even the Eastern world, maybe. Let me try to give you a, an answer that's not going to be so rambling. I think, first of all, he can be a bit of a political pamphleteer, which is kind of cool in its own right if you're, <laughs> if you have a particular taste for politics. But in terms of like hard philosophy books, he has a particular approach that I actually do appreciate quite a bit, which is kind of like this overlay of Lacanian psychoanalytics, Hegelian philosophy. And I forget the third thing that he kind of uses to approach political and philosophical questions. But I think that he makes an extremely persuasive point about ideology being one of the primary drivers of politics these days, which is an insanely reduced summary of what he writes about in The Sublime Object of Ideology. I really like that book. And I think if anybody's interested in him, a great book to start with is In Defense of Lost Causes which is a book that makes a defense of lost leftist causes and specifically mm. what people are in the habit of calling grand philosophical theories like Marxism, the French Revolution, Stalinism, <laughs> amongst other kind of like semi-heroes and villains. And he just has a really smart eye for some of the political trends that were coming down the pipe. I think In Defense of Lost Causes was published in 2008 the year that Obama was elected. And he already has a lot of just abstract talk about authoritarian nationalism, which fits almost perfectly to a T, the whole Trumpist movement. 
he was already sort of predicting that and defining the contours of movements like that in 2008, which is impressive. But it tends to be instructive in just understanding a lot of the frustrating political aspects that we're dealing with today. And then from a novelist standpoint, I think something that really interests me about him is that there's kind of like a bigger question in the literary world right now about writing about politics in particular. I think there's a huge trend of people trying to resolve some of these questions about a political world that's kind of spiraling out of control that doesn't look familiar anymore at the very least. And for me, he's kind of instructive in that regard. That actually, it's serious content, but the fact that he's instructive, it sounds kind of hopeful. Hopeful to be able to read what many of us are thinking inside witnessing everything that we are right now with elections and changes going on in the world and wars and whatnot. It sounds like it could be hopeful to hear that voice or to read that voice in his books. Yeah, I think it's hopeful in terms of just if some of these questions are like gnawing at you, it's nice to read a book that deals with them unapologetically and seriously and is speaking to somebody who wants those answers in terms of like, does it give you hope? I don't know, because (laughs) (laughs) a lot of the worst predictions are coming true. So in that regard, I mean, just to be a realist about it, sometimes it can be a either or. That's true. I will give you that. Yes. So after reading your book, Affliction Included, and just starting the other one, Disposable Thought, It seems like speculative philosophical works fill a significant amount of books that you've published. And at the same time, these books are action-filled, they're emotionally direct, and even funny, particularly what I've seen so far with disposable thought. The speculative and philosophical parts of the content, is that on purpose? And does it have to do a lot with the times we're in? So just a quick side note about speculative and philosophical fiction, these labels of it. Sometimes it's hard for me to describe exactly what I write. A lot of people want to call it science fiction, which is probably true. There are elements of that, but usually what I write has to do with reality, but maybe with like an overlay of speculation over top of it. So that's why sometimes I'll call it speculative fiction or philosophical fiction if I'm feeling really pretentious. But it's definitely on purpose, humor and action and all that stuff. At the core, they're dramatic novels. They're not philosophical treatises. Hopefully they evoke emotion and that's the primary hope. You want to communicate with people in a literary sense and not just like a dry philosophical academic sense. So some of it is just about sharing experience. Disposable thought is full of people who have really searing questions in mind. What I enjoyed about writing that book and encountering the characters in it, if I can say that, you come into contact with like-minded people. And there's something about this ever answerless question of people who want something more and want in some cases to make the world a better place or just have answers about themselves. What's really enjoyable about that book is spending time with those people and taking those things serious. I guess when I'm saying the word hope, that's how I felt. What you were just talking about, hearing those people who want to have more in their lives live better. It's helpful to hear those other voices and it's helpful to read that in your book. So it's sort of an affirmation that, no, I'm not the only one that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Other people want these things. And emotion as well, especially with affliction included. 
I want to say for a moment here, I'm going to stop and do a shout out for Jorge Schneider because Jorge connected me with you. I meant to say that earlier. And he passed along Affliction Included to me first, along with Third and Orange. And I read it and the character was wonderful because he led the story. He was emotionally astute to me and the story had action in it. And your voice was one that really seems to understand the human condition and what it's dealing with. In dealing with events that come up in life and dealing with challenges and all the turmoil that he had to go through but also the psychological things behind that too. And Stanley, he was a very astute character. I enjoyed him very much. How did you come up with the name Pathos Press? I can't take full credit for it because it was actually Jorge's idea. Jorge Schneider, by the way, whose novel I just translated, it's called The Year I Went Away. He's an Argentinian author and he usually works in Spanish. We actually published that novel in Spanish first. And then also Josh Peralta, who you just mentioned, he's the author of Third and Orange. We're all published under Pathos Press, and we're all basically uh, the heads of Pathos Press as well. So it's kind of like an author-run publishing group. Jorge came up with Pathos, and I think it's a great name. I think it really cuts right at the heart of what literature really is has a lot of meanings, it means obviously feeling first and foremost, but to suffer, to undergo something, and to understand something in those terms. So that's kind of how we came up with it. I think it's a brilliant name. It is. Right when you told me, it was like, yeah, that's good. I like that. Now, you said earlier when we spoke that by trying to be a business with the publishing house, you ended up actually being a collective. Can you describe what that collective looks like? You already did a little bit author-run press, but could you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, I think I can give you some context too to how everything came about. Regarding the collective thing, the original idea to try to publish our own stuff came in 2014 after I got back from a long trip in Latin America. And I went to Oakland to visit a friend of mine who had just moved away from Long Beach right before I left. His name is Alan Clark. And He's a graphic novelist, and he just has a huge dedication to books and writing and his craft. And I basically went up there to say, let's try to do something. Let's try to publish our own stuff, because there wasn't a whole lot of chance that an agent or a big publishing house would take a lot of interest in us. So we kind of went the DIY route. And it kind of turned into more of a futurist think tank. We had a lot of ideas. And our original idea was to create a label that people could use as a collective that anybody could use. And we tried to galvanize people around that idea. And it just really didn't work too well. This idea of approaching people and say, let's create a collective. And that was kind of unfortunate because it exposed one part of dealing with publishing and literary culture that has been kind of a difficulty since I started doing this, which is authors just don't organize very well because they have an idea in their heads. And I think this was true of me as well before I started doing this is I had this idea that if you wrote something that was undeniably good, that at some point somebody was going to say, well, of course we have to publish this. And then it was going to be judged on the merits. But what's unfortunately closer to the truth is, is that the publishing industry works according to what it can sell and what they think is going to be profitable, which I have no problem with that. I'm not bitter towards that. A lot of people bemoan that fact, but it just, it is what it is. 
they have to make money. That's the whole model that they're set up to sustain. But for authors, I think we just haven't taken that hint very well. If you want to be published nationally, there are a lot of hoops that you have to jump through, some of them which can make you cynical. You have an artistic vision, hopefully, if you're a writer that's doing, for lack of a better term, art books. Mm -hmm. If you consider yourself an artist, not just a writer or a professional or whatnot. And so you have to compromise if you're going to be published nationally. And a lot of people just didn't seem to really respect the idea of a collective. They kind of thought it was like a quick road to nowhere. And so finally, I just kind of got fed up and I just said, we're just going to lie and say that we're a company. We have ambitions to be a company, of course. Like if we could be a company, that would be pretty cool if enough people bought our stuff and enjoyed it. So that's what we kind of started doing was to just call ourselves a company. And that sort of changed things. It made people's ears perk up a little bit and say, oh, these people want to publish me. (laughs) It was just more so in the vein of what people were used to hearing. If you're just tuning in, today we're speaking with Stephen T. Bramble, publisher of Pathos Press in Long Beach. Hi folks, this is your host, Melina Paris. Angel City Culture Quest is growing. We're barely into our third year now and there's so much more quest-worthy inspiration to bring you. Art, books, film, coverage of local events, and more. We've gotten a new QR code, so you can capture episodes on the go, because I know you're busy. We've been creating artistic flyers unique to each episode, and new Angel City Culture Quest stickers. And there's more to come. As you know, there are costs to keep this podcast going. So, if you're able, join me in this quest with your support. Think of it as a cultural tip jar to share any amount that you're comfortable with. Even a few dollars a month will contribute to my ability to continue bringing you the great work of these artists, activists, and others, and the cultural content that you want to hear about. I would be honored to have your support. To donate, please go to my Patreon link at patreon.com forward slash angelcityculturequest. There, you can also see all of our past episodes. Thank you. In the last couple of years, things really sped up as far as like the book publishing part, as opposed to just the futurist think tank part. And Josh wanted to publish with the original publishing house, which was ZQ287. And we've now split off into Pathos Press. But yeah, we published his book, Third and Orange, which is really brilliant. It's a hybrid poetry and prose novel, for lack of a better word for it. And then we also published Jorge's novel in Spanish and now in English. And so the ultimate effect was to have an author-run kind of collective with ambitions to hopefully become a real live (laughs) publishing house, which would be great. It's good. I like that approach. And to speak on Third and Orange, I was really happy to read that book because that was my old stomping grounds. I used to live in that area in Long Beach. And of course, I had to read it. (laughs) And the combination of poetry and prose was amazing. Like you said, he's an amazing poet. But the prose was fun to read. The book was romantic and serious at times. And 
is life in Long Beach and very recognizable to read the scenes and the places that he was going to. And you could also see the character maturing through that process. But I think it's great, the combination of the poetry and the prose. I really loved it. So kudos yeah. to you guys on that. It was wonderful. Well, Everything. really to him. He was the one that wrote the book. He sold hundreds of copies of that book at this point. Everybody who reads it absolutely loves it. And I've been to a lot of readings where he has fans of this book. It really made a big impact, I think, especially on poets and young poets, which was kind of the target audience in his mind was somebody young who wants to be a writer who's dealing with sort of perennial issues of growing up, like first loves, first heartaches, making your own way in, in like a new city. Yeah. And definitely, I think it touched a chord, I think at least for poets and also for people who are more used to reading novels than poetry. I definitely don't read that much poetry, but what I think is interesting about that book is that it has a narrative even in the poetry parts. It's not always hitting you over the head that it's narrative, but I think it just exists in its own little universe. And so it's a very coherent book. And you feel like you went through something with him at the end rather than just sort of a bunch of poems stuck together. Yeah, there was a narrative for sure. You could read the experiences that he was having in parts of it. And just an aside, what I also thought was humorous and charming was the writing to the parking ticket people. That's so Long Beach, but the fact that he did that several times. And I won't say more because I don't want to spoil it, but that was a very humorous part of the book. And you talked about going through the process of editing with Josh on that and how he had to, I think you said, trust you as the editor to publish to get to that point. Yeah, the agreement that I made with him was I wanted to play the editor role if I was going to try to publish somebody else's book, because that's actually a really important aspect of publishing that actually I've never even had. I've self-published three novels at this point, and I've never had a real editor, somebody who really reads the book closely and not so much fixes things, but guides the author and it was an interesting experience because it really does make a difference. Even if you don't have an incredible talent as an editor necessarily, I think by the end of the entire process, it was not a different book, but I saw how the book became itself. And the version that you read is really the version of that manuscript that's sharp enough to cut through a shoe. It does what it does well. And part of that is just this collaborative effort between editor and author that I think unfortunately gets lost for a lot of us writers. We don't work with big publishing houses, so we don't get that luxury. It is a really important aspect of writing, and it's also something that a lot of authors have to get used to, and that sometimes, frankly, they bristle at because it plays into this whole solitary genius trope that people have in their heads of authors. But a book is a collaborative effort between individuals, so it's not all just the author. Ultimately, they have to be the final authoritative voice, but we definitely wanted to try to be professional about it that makes any sense. We wanted to check all the boxes and make sure we were really publishing the best possible book that we could. That you did. You definitely did. It sounds like it was nurturing and it will be a nurturing process for authors going forward. It's that collaborative effort. And I wanted to go back to Jorge for a moment. His book is a roller coaster ride. I read the final paragraph and I said, he got us. 
<laughs> I'll leave it at that. But it's about this character, Julio, and the people that he lives with and the emotional roller coaster that he's going through. And as the reader, we go through it with him. It's a great book. And there's one other character in the book, the female character, Jezebel. And I remember reading that part and feeling like I really loved her voice. It was very calm and soothing amidst these other male characters, which were great on their own too. But the balance of that was great. How was the experience of doing that translation for you? It was actually really nice. It was a really good experience. I did it in collaboration with Jorge because I'm conversational in Spanish, but he obviously writes at a level that is way over my head. So he did some of the nuts and bolts, like translating into English, but we collaborated in terms of giving the book the same meaning, but maybe not necessarily the same phrasing. So it was interesting because in a way, it's almost kind of like you're rewriting a version of the novel. So it's really not just like a word for word translation. I don't know if he would necessarily agree with this, but in some ways, it's kind of like a completely different book. But I think that's true of translations in general. I think so much gets lost in translation. There are ways of reworking scenes, reworking plays on language reworking metaphors and grammatical structures that are all playing into meaning in a novel. And so a lot goes into it. It was really a fun puzzle. And I have to say that Jorge was really extremely generous, letting me in some cases have my way with the text when I thought something needed to be a particular way. And it just came out. So I haven't heard too many reactions about it. Yours is one of the first. I trust what you have to say. So hopefully we did a good job. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Now, we talked a little bit about writers in general, and you said that there's many writers in San Pedro and Long Beach, both, but the city doesn't get enough publicity for all of its writers. Can you talk a little bit further about that? Sure. Yeah. LA, yeah. California, in some cases, San Francisco and Oakland are both, at least to my mind, they're real literary powerhouses here in the state. But you also don't really hear that much about the literary scene there. But I think some of that is partially this issue of authors just don't work very well together. And that just has to change. The nice thing is, is that there's a lot of talent there. For as long as I've lived in Long Beach, there's been independent presses. And some of them have even had a bit of success. There was one poetry press called Write Bloody. This is a long time ago, over 10 years ago, that they actually had a huge success. They were making so much money that they ended up in Forbes magazine. I don't know exactly what the story was with that one, but they just kind of disappeared. And then they're like stalwarts of the scene. Rain Dog Armstrong has had Lummox Press around here for a long time and has gotten pretty much zero recognition for that. But there are also other newer, really professional players on the scene. There's Brown Paper Bag Press and a host of others. But I do think that some of the problem is that publishing is not in the mainstream of the creative disciplines that LA really takes seriously or just thinks about on a regular basis, I guess would be more fair. We think about music and film and all that stuff. But I think just a lot of the authors haven't gotten that professional treatment. When you go to New York, I think there's just a higher expectation, a higher bar. And that's because you're right in the center of the industry. People know what it takes to make the connections, to publish something that people are going to want to read, that looks nice, that's been properly edited, even knows what it is. 
there are a lot of authors, they write a book and they're just sort of lost at sea. They maybe have never been through the process and people start asking you difficult questions like, what's this about? <laughs> Even that question can be really hard to answer. And there are a lot of authors that just give these long rambling answers. And that's part of making people take you more seriously to just think about the craft, think also about the process of publishing, of bringing a book to the public. It would be really great to see all of us step up our game and, I don't know, bring these books, make them a little less ignorable than they currently are. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to mention, you started the publishing house in about 2015, and that was under ZQ, now Pathos. To date, seven books officially have been published. And I want to commend you on the rich feel and the distinguished appearance of your books. You just mentioned about what the books look like, what they feel like. You have a very high bar, I think, with the appearance of your books. They feel good, which you don't often hear about with books, and they look wonderful. How important is that to you in publishing? Well, I think first from like an artistic perspective, I love books. And I think a lot of people share that love. There's something about finding a book that just looks and feels great. Of course, it's primarily about what's inside the book, but I think people downplay that aspect of books, that they are artistic objects. And so everything about it should bring you into that separate world that's between the covers. It's something that's not easy to do. And I think from a more crass business perspective, obviously, to get somebody to buy something, it needs to look nice. It needs to look professional. And a lot of self-published books, they're just, for very good reasons, they don't look like professionally published books. People don't have the money. They don't have maybe necessarily access to somebody who can design the book. And it's taken a lot of learning on my end. Previous to doing this, I had sort of a working knowledge of Photoshop. I'm far from a professional, but I try to parlay that into something as good as I can make it. And then the pagination is the really complicated aspect. And to me, that's almost the part that I worry about more than the cover now is the interior layout of the text. It really can make or break a book sometimes. So there's a lot that goes into that. But yeah, we're definitely trying to make sure that they look and feel great. And we want it to be something that we're proud of. So what are your plans for the near future with Pathos Press? Well, with Pathos, we just want to expand the number of authors that we're publishing. A friend of mine who I'm actually playing the editor role again and editing his book, and hopefully we'll bring that across the finish line this year. Yeah, we're just trying to convince people that we're people that are worth working with. We're kind of chasing a reputation first because we really don't have the money to pay people right away. And for that reason, we're taking this collective route, which is you're going to retain ownership of your manuscript and of the book. And it's kind of an odd sort of DIY approach, but we do have a theory of the case that the more people that we can bring in, the more good books that we publish, if we can get people to sit up and pay attention, that uh, eventually we can turn that into something that's maybe more traditionally functional, more like a genuine company mm. or publishing house with much wider distribution. So in working towards that goal, we're just trying to publish more people and publish more books. And even if that goal is never reached, we're still going to continue to publish because it's just fun. For me, myself, I just feel like I need to do it. It's amazing that you read the books and you like them. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I just, do. Yeah. 
I would recommend them, definitely. They are intriguing and exhilarating with all the different actions and activities that are going on with the characters. It's really good. And Affliction Included can be a movie as far as I'm concerned. There was a lot of action in that. I really enjoyed it. So, Stephen, can you tell us, please, where can listeners find you? We're restructuring our label right now. So very soon we'll have a website. So I'm not sure what that is, but you can definitely find us at any independent bookstore in Long Beach. Josh Peralta lives up in Oakland. So I would imagine that you can find some of our books up there as well. And if you're not here in Long Beach or Oakland, you can definitely find it online. Right. Well, what we'll do is in the show notes, I will put a listing of your books so people can go to that. And there's actually a lot of bookstores in Long Beach. And we have one definite bookstore in San Pedro and the other two are sort of hybrids, but they sell books. So, yeah, <laughs> so that's go good. Go buy the books. <laughs> go get the books. Yeah. Well, Stephen Bramble, this has been a great talk. I appreciate it. Thank you, Melina. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.